I'm going to speak to you today one of the most serious and important messages that I've ever spoken. Your very life depends, and my life depends, upon our ability to cling to the truth of God and hold on to that truth of God to the end. Through all of the deceptions of this world, through all of the things that are coming on this world, up to the Great Tribulation, and if needed, through the Great Tribulation. Jesus says it will get so bad that even the elect would not be saved and they, unless the days were shortened. But for the sake of the elect, the days will be shortened. But in the meantime, we are in a battle for truth. To live in truth, to decide what truth is, to hold fast to truth in spite of everything that happens. To put ourselves in the very best position to succeed. If we compared it to a football game, it would be all the things the winning team does to win the Super Bowl. It's not accidental that they win. They work very hard to get to the point of winning and to win. And we must win. We must win over everything, over all the people that would pull us away, over all of the things in the churches that would pull us away, over all of the things in the world that would pull us away. We must hold to specific truths from God to the very end through everything. I'm going to share with you the ways we do that to endure. We're going to start with the subject of the Bereans in Acts 17. The Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. And let's see why. Paul and Silas came by night to Berea. Silas was a prophet. And they went into the synagogues of the Jews. And in verse 11 of Acts 17, we read these, the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so that Paul was speaking. Paul wouldn't have been offended by that and I wouldn't be offended by that. It would offend some preachers if you told them you were looking in the Bible to see if what they taught was true, but it won't offend me. I want you to read the scriptures concerning the things I'm speaking. I want you to be established by the scriptures through the Spirit of God, for that is real establishment. I want you to do that. So that is the first thing to see here. We can't just take my word for this or your preacher's word for this or your grandfather's word for this and certainly not church doctrine which often conflicts with scripture 
if you're going to live through this and survive as a Christian, you're going to have to have the word from God, the scriptures confirmed by the Spirit of God. And that's what we're going to work toward today, for that will be truth. You have to understand that the deception will get greater and greater and greater day by day until the end of this world. The Apostle Paul tells us that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. What chance is there for us? The truth is the chance for us. We have to cling to the truth. We can't live in a fantasy land where we excuse people for the evil that they do and say, oh, they didn't mean that, or oh, they just don't know better. We can't do that. The evil they do is the evidence that we have been given by God in order to see what not to do and what to do and who to be with and who not to be with. We can't cast it aside. We have to take it very seriously. For much deception comes in the last days before Jesus returns. We read that in Matthew 24, and we read that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says, Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 I had years of watching Pam Padgett as she dealt with problems. What I saw her do is turn to God with the problem, pray over the problem, hear from God, follow his instructions, solve the problem, and then she told me of the solution. She didn't worry me with the problem. She solved the problem. Now, I want her in my foxhole. I want to go to war with Pam because I know exactly what she's trained to do and what she will do. I don't want one of those people that cast their cares on me, whine and moan around in the churches. I don't want that. They don't know anything. They're just going to pull you down. What you have to have is you have to have that person who knows how to turn to God, how to hear from God, how to judge that it is God that he heard from, and how to have faith in in doing the word that he heard and to do it to success. That's the kind of person you have to cling to. If you can find one, that's what you have to have. You don't want one of these people that say they're Christians who all they do is attend church and jump up and down and sing. You don't want that one. You've got to have the other kind. And you've got to be the other kind. So Paul says, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. When I was injured in 2018, I fell at the house I was living in in Texas. I was taken to the hospital and awaiting surgery. The nurse came in to get me to sign a paper to tell who would be in charge of medical decisions for me should I not be capable of deciding. One of our church members who lived in Lubbock 
where I lived, was standing there when the nurse brought the paper in. And the nurse told me I had to make a decision like a, an authority, a power of authority to somebody who could make decisions and give them to them in case I wasn't able. And I said, the person who will be over me is Pam Padgett. Sandra was standing there and she said, how can Pam be over you? She doesn't even live here. Pam lived 450 miles away. I said, I don't know how she can be, but she is. She is the one in authority over me. Why would I put her in authority? Because I'd seen how she made decisions. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. I'd had at least three years of watching her make decisions. I wrote books and she did all the technical work to get it published on Amazon. She dealt with the problems. She prayed. She saw how to approach the problem. She took care of the problem and didn't trouble me. That's the kind of person that I would put in my foxhole. First Corinthians chapter 2. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdoms teacheth, but that which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Very often when you're trying to make a decision, you will have to have multiple scriptures on the subject to make the proper decision. You might have one scripture on the subject and you could still fall because you don't have the missing piece of the puzzle. So sometimes it's multiple scriptures. I'll give you an example of that. If we were considering the subject of remarriage after divorce for the woman, if you look at the body of Scripture on the subject and you compare Scripture with Scripture and you have the Holy Spirit and you are willing to see the truth of God, you'll be fine. And you will establish the truth of God as you compare Scripture with Scripture by the guidance of the Holy Spirit if you are willing to see the truth. Matthew 5.32, Jesus says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Jesus is saying to the men, If you divorce a faithful wife and she remarries, she commits adultery, but you will be the cause of the adultery. And he's saying to the men, If you marry the woman that is put away that's divorced, you will commit adultery. I have heard people in churches say, if the woman's husband was a drunkard or a fornicator, she can divorce him and remarry. Well, they certainly don't know 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, for the Apostle Paul explained to the New Testament church the following. 
And to the married I command, says Paul, yet not I, but the Lord. This is a commandment of the Lord for the New Testament church. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. So now we have two scriptures to base our decision on, to get the truth on this subject. We have Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, and we have 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You might get to thinking that the divorced woman could remarry if her husband was unfaithful. But if you read 1 Corinthians 7, you're going to see something totally different from that. And if you reread Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, you're going to see she commits adultery if she remarries after divorce. Romans 7, 1 through 3, we're going to add another scripture. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now somebody will come in and say, we don't go by the law anymore. We don't go by the law of Moses where they killed animals as sacrifices for their sins. But we go by the rules and laws of the New Testament Bible. So don't get tricked by that saying. Verse 2, Paul says to the New Testament church, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Some of you may be depressed at that scripture. Don't be. Have faith that God's way is far better than the way of human beings. And when God tells us something like this and we obey it, we are blessed, not hurt. We are saved from a sin that would destroy us on this earth. Oh, there are many men I'm glad I didn't marry. I wanted to marry them at the time, but I'm sure glad I didn't looking back on it today. But God kept me from marrying them to save me. Let's look now at the fourth piece of scripture on this subject of marriage. Mark chapter 10, verse 6. Jesus says, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. Wherefore, what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, don't listen to evil men who say, God never put them together. Our Bible teacher at Word of Faith said that all the time. And everybody laughed. Because he was divorced. And he said, but God never put us together. He's wrong. At the time of sexual intercourse, 
the two people become one flesh. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul warns the men about having sex with a prostitute. And Paul says, what, don't you know? That if you have sex with a harlot, you're one flesh with her? For two, saith he, shall be one sex. You see, you're put together as one flesh with that person at the time of sexual intercourse. So you can't say, God never joined me to that wife. But even if you have sex with a prostitute, you're one flesh with her. This is one of the great boundaries that keeps a person from having sex outside of marriage. The understanding that the two people will be one flesh if they have sexual intercourse. Back to Mark 10. Jesus said, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. We see four bodies of scripture that tell us the same thing. And if you're willing to see the truth and save yourself from much harm and sadness, go by these scriptures. Why would God make a difference between the men and the women when he set up the rules? And he did make a difference between them. Because he told the men, if you have an unfaithful wife, if you have a faithful wife and you divorce her, she will commit adultery and you'll be the cause of her adultery. Well, what about if you have an unfaithful wife and divorce her? Can you remarry? I think you can. As a man, I think you can remarry if the wife is unfaithful and you put her away. But you can't as a woman. Now, why would it be different? Because the woman is going to bear the children. And God wanted the seed to be pure. And he even tells that in Malachi chapter 2, where it says God hates the putting away. God hates divorce. Malachi 2, start reading at verse 14. The Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yea, she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not God make one? Yet he, yet had he residue of the Spirit. And wherefore one? Why is it one flesh? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. He hates divorce. So he says, take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. So there are basic five, basically five bodies of scripture that I've shared with you today concerning divorce and remarriage so that you can make a decision as to the truth 
from God and can hold to the truth from God and not be swept away with the ideas of men and swept away with the desires of your own flesh on the subject if they're contrary to God. You can read all of these things that I've recorded for you by going to our blog, Jesus Ministries Exhortation, bringing up this podcast, and all these scriptures are written out for you to see and consider. Continuing, though, there's more to this deciding what is truth. If your heart is right, and you really want to know the truth, I believe God will show you. I believe that you can turn to God and ask him and read the scriptures on the subject at hand and God will open your eyes to see the truth if your heart is right. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We reprove our doctrine by Scripture through prayer and guidance of the Holy Spirit as he leads us in our thinking. Sometimes a young Christian will not know enough Bible to realize it when their pastor is speaking wrongly. Other times we don't know when pastors are teaching wrong things. But from the time I was born again, I started reading the New Testament Bible and some of the Old Testament. And truth was being established for me by God by his spirit when the doctrine at the church was wrong and often i attended a church and wrong doctrine came forth at the first church that i attended after i was born again in 1975 the pastor was teaching a series of nights on the subject of tongues are of the devil I had never heard of tongues before. I didn't care anything about tongues. But I did attend all of the uh, seminars that he taught. One day I was, I was reading the Bible, and I saw a scripture spoken by the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty nine. Paul says, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak in tongues with tongues. In other words, at the church I'm attending, they're teaching tongues are of the devil, and the Bible is saying don't forbid anyone to speak with tongues. Well, I didn't return to that church group again where the pastor was teaching tongues were of the devil. But I was still not established in the truth concerning tongues in the church, and I was afraid of tongues. I had been in a small prayer group that met in the home of one of my neighbors. One day, a woman mentioned someone who needed prayer. She explained the situation to the prayer group. Before they began praying, I 
heard kind of a soft murmuring sound. And then someone began praying in English. And I realized those women in that group were praying in tongues before they prayed in English. And I was terrified. I went away and began studying all the passages in the New Testament Bible on the subject of tongues. I thought tongues were wrong when I began the subject. But when I read and compared each section of scripture on this subject, I was convinced that tongues were a legitimate part of the activities of the body of Christ in the gathering of the church. It's not that I understood tongues, but I accepted it. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, How is it then, brethren, when ye come together? Every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Verse 27, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. So I saw the rules set forth. And then in verse 39-40 of 1 Corinthians 14, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. But you have to have an interpreter if you speak with tongues in the church. Let all things be done decently and in order. Another subject. Establishing the truth that is spoken at church. Establishing the truth. Is it true? On a Sunday morning, I visited a non-denominational church as I was looking for a church to attend. Pastor was teaching about Sarah and Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian handmaiden, Genesis 21. And the pastor said, Sarah and Hagar were half-sisters. I was shocked. I, I didn't know that. I went home and read in the Bible all the passages about Sarah and Hagar. Now, would you do that? Who cares about Sarah and Hagar? I care about Sarah and Hagar. It's in the Bible. I care about establishing truth. And I didn't know where it said it in the Bible that they were half-sisters. So I went home and read the Bible. And I couldn't find it in the Bible. So I called the pastor and I told him, I said, I was at your service yesterday morning when you said, Sarah and Hagar are half-sisters. And I just couldn't find this in the Bible. Could you please tell me where it is? There was a long pause, and Pastor said nothing. And then he said, Well, I just can't remember where it is in the Bible. And I replied, Well, it's very important to me to know. So please look it up. Would you look it up and tell your secretary and have her call me and tell me where it is? 
Then there was dead silence for a minute. And then he screamed out at me over the phone, All right, it's not in the Bible. Well, I never returned to that church. Why? The pastor is deceptive. He's a liar. He doesn't care about scripture. He shows no shame. And he has no repentance. He's antichrist. Oh, yes. There are many antichrists who are pastors in the churches today. And you will know them because they react in an uncaring way about the truth of the scriptures. They don't feel shame when they speak a lie. They set themselves up to be gods in the church. That's what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. They fell away from scripture they sat in the temple of God, showing themselves to be God. And when any man or woman speaks something that is not true concerning Bible, and you find out about it, and you speak to that person, and they fail to act in shame, they are Antichrist. Now, if they act in shame and say, oh, Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was wrong. That's not in the Bible. I shouldn't have said that. That's another matter. But that's not been my experience with them, and I've had so many times this has happened. Instead, they just scream out at me. No repentance. They are Antichrist. That's how you recognize Antichrist. They won't submit to the power of truth of the scriptures. One Wednesday night, I went to a small non-denominational church. About 200 people were there that night. pastor was teaching John 8 about the woman taken in adultery pastor said, and when she was brought before Jesus, she was naked from the waist up. I was shocked. I've read John 8 many times. I grabbed my Bible to reread it to see if I could have missed this, if, it, if I were wrong. This just wasn't in the Bible. I read it, and it is not in the Bible. What he said was not in John 8. I looked around the room, and nobody in the whole room, I didn't see one person pick up a Bible to examine it to see if this was true. I saw some men sitting there with big, lustful smiles on their face at the idea of a woman who was naked from the waist up, and their imaginations were running wild, and I knew they were. John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto Jesus, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? 
This they said tempting Jesus, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? And he says, Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. At no point in this story does it say she was brought before them naked from the waist up. And secondly, what Jesus said to the condemn to this woman who was a sinner is go and sin no more. If she does that, she's not going to be a sinner. He didn't just say, neither do I commend you, just go out and continue being a prostitute or continue in adultery. He said, go and sin no more. Well, I next morning I called this pastor and I said to him, I was in your church service last night when you talked about the woman brought be- who was brought before Jesus who was naked from the waist up, and I can't find that in the Bible. Could you please tell me where that is in the Bible? There was a dead silence for a few seconds, and then pastor said, I can't remember where it is in the Bible. And I said to him, well, it's important for me to know this. Would you please look it up and have your secretary call me and tell me where it is in the Bible. He began screaming at me, and he said, All right, it's not in the Bible. Where do you go to church? Well, I was trying to find a church to go to, but I'm not going to go to one where the pastor lies about the stories in the Bible. And neither should you. So, of course, I never went back there to visit again. In addition to pastors being responsible for scripture, so are we. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, We persuade men. At the judgment seat of Christ, each one of us are going to have to account for the way we have handled Scripture and for the way we have allowed these things to go on in the churches that we attend. We cannot attend a church where Scriptures have been changed. We'll be guilty. If you put yourself with the guilty, you're going to be guilty. You can't do it. How can we be free from Antichrist in the church groups if we don't know the Bible? And if we don't care enough about Bible to look up the scriptures when they are taught to us, 
how are we justified in the sight of God? And if you stay in one of these groups, you're going to be judged with that group. And Antichrist is rampant today in the churches because we draw nearer to the return of Jesus. And Paul said Jesus could not, would not return until this falling away from Scripture happens in the churches. So the key to recognizing Antichrist is by the falling away that we see churches do concerning Scripture. Second Thessalonians 2, Paul says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Churches would fall away from Scripture. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself to be God. That's exactly what these two preachers did. These two pastors did exactly this. They ruled over the Bible. They cast away what they want to cast away and added what they wanted to add and were not ashamed at what they were doing. That's a sign of Antichrist. That is Antichrist. I have tried for 40 years to find a church to attend, and over and over and over, this has arisen. And I've never seen pastor repent when it has arisen. They always become angry with me. That's Antichrist. Now, the Apostle Paul warns us, 2 Timothy 3.13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. All the way up to the end of the world, it will get worse and worse in the world and in the churches. So each of us better pay attention to deciding what is true, and proving all things and holding fast to that which is good in the sight of God because we will not endure to the end unless we do this. And even then, if the time isn't shortened, even the elect wouldn't be saved. But the time will be shortened. But we have to endure. We are in a war that will not end until the Heaven and earth is destroyed by God. As long as we are left on this earth, we are fighting a war for the truth of God, for the faith in God. And we better be armed with real ammunition. And that real ammunition is the truth of God from the Holy Bible that is proven as truth to us by the Spirit of God. Matthew 24, Jesus says concerning the end times, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Make no mistake, enduring is a daily battle. And the war will increase up to the end of this world. 
So right now we do what we can do to increase our strength in the Word of God. In closing, I'll share with you one thing I do which helps me. I have a Kindle tablet. And on that tablet, you can store up photographs. Instead of storing up photographs of people, I store up scripture. I store up scripture that I'm currently working on to try to keep myself free from the world and keep myself going in the way of God. I look at it day and night. I probably have 20 pages of screenshots stored up on my Kindle tablet of Scripture. Usually I'm focused on the one I'm currently dealing with. And then sometimes I will sit down and after I have focused on that one I'm dealing with currently, I'll read the other Scriptures that I have stored on my Kindle just to reinforce myself in the way of God. I work daily. I have to. I would be swept away if I weren't didn't. The evil's too bad. The evil in the newscast, the evil in the world, the evil in the churches. It's too bad. It would sweep me away if I didn't focus on Scripture. The most current ammunition that I have that I've been working on is Proverbs chapter 1, starting at verse 10. If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Ooh, on television, they're constantly enticing us. Sinners are constantly enticing us. They're enticing us with all types of things that seem good but are really evil. Hey, these protesters during the 2020 coronavirus... When the policeman killed the black man, well, of course it was wrong for the policeman to kill the black man. But it's also wrong for all of these protesters to rise up in all this anger. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. If these were godly people, these protesters wouldn't be doing that. They would know that God will repay this evil. They wouldn't becoming evil. They wouldn't become evil to protest. They would trust in God. They simply show they are evil by their protesting because this is what the Bible shows. And the second thing, people are just breaking into stores, looting stores, carrying away merchandise, using this as an excuse. None of this is good. The police who killed the black men are not good. The protesters are not good. The people breaking into the stores are not good. When you turn on the TV and see this, you are going to hear them saying, oh, they just had so much grief they did this. They, no, 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 that is not good. Nothing is good about this. And if you are truly godly and know scriptures and go in the way of God, you will know evil is everywhere in this story, in every direction you turn. Now, I have been focusing on staying away from television news because I saw how evil it was. I don't have to go out there and look at this. Pam recent told me, recently told me this interesting story. 
she was watching some program, and they broke into the program to tell the local news, which told about the protesters in Colorado Springs who were protesting the death of this black man. And Pam was just so grieved by what she saw. They broke into her program to tell this. You see, the whole point about this is these evil people are everywhere, in every city, in every form, and they run to the evil to tell it to us. Well, we don't have to watch it. Walk not thou in the way with them. But if you have your TV on and they tell of the evil, you'll probably be pulled into the evil, enticed into it by them. So you put Proverbs 1.10 deeply in your heart. If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. I've been working on this scripture for days and days and days. This is the very first thing I have in my Kindle tablet photograph area to warn me so that I can strengthen myself. And I'm not strengthened on it yet. Walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from thy path. Don't turn that on. Don't let yourself be caught in their path. For their feet run to evil. They don't walk to evil. They run and gallop to tell you these stories. And they make haste to shed blood. And you will be guilty with them if you participate with them in the television. Well, I have all the news stations removed from my TV guide where I don't even see them. Often my TV will be set on something like NFL Channel. I turned on NFL Channel the other day and I saw the most grievous thing. Drew Brees, the quarterback in New Orleans, had made some kind of statement and he was repenting from his statement. Now his statement is bad and he didn't mean that. And on and on and on with this garbage. Everybody on both sides is evil. And I don't want to be evil. So how do I keep from being evil? I don't participate with them. I don't walk in their path. I don't go in their way. I avoid them. And that's what we have to do. I've been working on these concepts daily for more than a week and feel it will take many more days of building up this ammunition of, ammunition of the Word of God against the evil of today. So I can fight these current daily battles that would consume me if I allowed it to do so. This war will not end until we are removed from this earth. We are going to have to fight daily to keep ourselves in God. So we must approach this life as if it's a war protecting the scriptures from the things that would steal the way of God from us, both in the churches and on the television. Keep yourself. Fight. Contend for the scriptures. Endure to the end this way. 
but it is a battle, and if you don't plan to battle, you may as well give up right now and go out there with them. Because it's not going to work unless you battle for the truth of God. This is Joan Boney speaking. All of the scriptures I have spoken are printed for you on our blog, Jesus Ministries Exhortation. You need to keep these scriptures in front of you. Learn the way of God. Learn to go in the way of God. For that's your only hope. Thank you for letting me share with this with you today.